Section 21 of Heart A Schoolboy's Journal This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kristen Lewis, Houston, Texas. Heart, a Schoolboy's Journal by Armando Diamichis. Translated by Isabel Florence Hapgood. May. Part 4. Summer, Wednesday, 24th. Margot, the Geonese, is the last little hero, but one whose acquaintance we shall make this year. Only one remains for the month of June. There are but two more monthly examinations, twenty-six days of lessons, six Thursdays and five Sundays. The air of the end of the year is already felt, the trees of the garden leafy and in blossom, cast a fine shade on the gymnastics of Paris. The scholars are already dressed in summer clothes, and it is beautiful, at the close of school and the exit of classes, to see how different everything is from what it was in the months that are past. The long locks which touch the shoulders have disappeared. All heads are closely shorn, bare legs and throats are to be seen. There are little straw hats of every shape, with ribbons that fall over the backs of the wearers. Shirts and neckties are of every hue. All the little children wear something red or blue about them, a facing, a border, a tassel, a scrap of some vivid color, tacked on somewhere by the mother, so that even the poorest may make a good figure, and many come to school without any hats, as though they had run away from home. Some wear the white gymnasium suit. There is one of the schoolmistresses, Ducati boys, who is red from head to foot, like a boiled lobster. Several are dressed like sailors. But the finest of all is a little mason, who has donned a big straw hat, which gives him the appearance of a half-candle with a shade over it, and it is ridiculous to see him make his hair's face beneath it. Karate, too, has given up his catskin cap, and wears an old traveling cap of gray silk. Votini has sort of a scotch dress, all decorated. Crazy displays his bare breast. Procasi is lost inside of a blue blouse belonging to the blacksmith. And Garofi, now that he has been obliged to discard the cloak for which he hid his wares, all his pockets are visible, bulging with all sort of hucksters' trifles, with the list of his lotteries forced himself out. Now all of his pockets allow the contents to be seen. Fans made of half, a newspaper, knobs of canes, darts to fire at birds, herbs, and maybugs which creep out of his pockets and cross slowly over the jackets. Many of the little fellows carry bunches of flowers to the mistresses. The mistresses are dressed in summer garments awful, of cheerful tints, all except the little nun who is always in black and the mistress with the red feathers still has her red feathers, and a knot of red ribbon at her neck, all tumbled with the little hands of her scholars, who always make her laugh and then run. It is a season, too, of cherry trees, of butterflies, of music in the streets, and of rambles in the country. Many of the fourth grade run away to bathe in the Po. All have their hearts already set on vacation. Each day they issue forth from school more gay and impatient than the day before. Only it pains me to see Garoni in mourning in my poor mistress of the primary who is thinner and whiter than ever, and who coughs with the ever-increasing violence. She walks all bent over and greets me so sadly. 
the poetic side friday the twenty sixth you are now beginning to understand the poetry of school and Enrico, but at present you are only surveyed the school from within it will seem much more beautiful and more poetic to you twenty years from now when you go there to escort your own boys and you will then survey it from the outside as i do while waiting for school to close i wander about the silent street nearby and listen at the windows of the ground floor which are screened by venetian blinds at one window i hear the voice of a schoolmistress saying ah what's a shape for the tea it won't do my dear boy what would your father say to it at the next window there resounds the heavy voice of a master saying i will buy fifty meters of cloth at four lire and half the metre and sell it again further on is the mistress with the red feather who is reading aloud the piatre mica with a delighted train of powder from the adjoining classrooms come all the chirping of a thousand birds which signifies that the master has stepped out for a moment i proceed onward and as i turn the corner i hear a scholar weeping and the voice of a mistress reproving and comforting him from the lofty windows issue verses names of great and good men fragments of sentences which teach virtue the love of country and courage then ensue moments of silence in which one would declare that the building is empty and it does not seem possible that there should be seven hundred boys within noisy outbursts of hilarity are heard again provoked by the jest of a master in a good humour and the people who are passing halt and glance with sympathy toward that pleasing school which contains so much youth and so many hopes then a sudden dull sound is heard of a clapping to of books and satchels a shuffling of feet a buzz which spreads from room to room and from the lower to the higher as at the sudden spread of a bit of good news it is the beadle who is making his rounds announcing the dismissal of school and at that sound a throng of women men girls and youth press closer around the door waiting for their sons brothers or grandchildren while from the doors of the classrooms little boys shoot forth into the big hall as from a spout seize their little capes and hats creating a great confusion with them on the floor and dancing all about until the beetle chases them forth one after the other at length they come forth in long files stamping their feet and then from all the relatives come a shower of questions did you know your lesson how much work did they give you what have you to do for tomorrow when does the monthly examination come but even the poor mothers who do not know how to read open the copy-books, gaze at the problems, and ask particulars. Only eight? Ten with commendation? Nine for the lesson? And they grow uneasy and rejoice and question the masters, and talk of the prospect for the examinations, how beautiful all this is, and how great its promise to the world. Your Mother The Death Mute, Sunday, 28th the month of may could not have had a better ending than my visit this morning we heard a jingling of the bell and all ran to see what it meant i heard my father say in a tone of astonishment you here giorgio giorgio was our gardener in chari who now has his family at condove and had just arrived from genoa where he has disembarked on the preceding day on his return from greece after working on the railroad there for the last three years he had had a big bundle in his arms he had grown a little older but his face is still red and jolly my father asked him in but he refused and suddenly inquired assuming a serious look 
How is my family? How is Gigia? She was well a few days ago, replied my mother. Giorgio uttered a deep sign. Oh, God, be praised. I did not have the courage to present myself at the death-mute institution until I had heard about her. I will leave my bundle here and run to get her. It is three years since I have seen my poor little daughter, three years since I have seen any of my people. My father told me to go with him. Excuse me, one word more, said the gardener from the landing. My father interrupted him. How are your affairs? All right, the other replied. Thanks to God, I have brought back a few soldi. But I wanted to inquire. Tell me how the education of the little dumb girl is getting on. When I left her, she was like a little animal, poor thing. I don't put much faith in these colleges. Has she learned how to make signs? My wife did write to me, to be sure. She is learning to speak. She is making progress. But I said to myself, what is the use of her learning to talk if I don't know how to make signs myself? How shall we manage to understand each other? Poor child, it is well enough for them to understand each other, one unfortunate with another unfortunate. How is she getting on then? How is she? My father smiled and replied, I shall not tell you anything about it. You will go see. Go, don't waste another minute. We started. The institute is close by. As we went along at a great pace, the gardener talked to me and grew sad. Ah, oh, my poor Gigia, to be born with such an infirmity, to think that I have never heard her call me father, and that she has never heard me call her my daughter. But she has never either heard or spoken a single word since she has been in the world, and it is lucky that a charitable gentleman was found to pay the expenses of the institute. But that is all. She could not enter there until she was eight years old. She has not been at home for three years. She is now going on eleven, and she has grown. Tell me she has grown. She is in good spirits? You will see in a moment. You will see in a moment, I replied, hastening my pace. But where is this institution? he demanded. My wife went with her after I was gone. It seems to me that it ought to be near here. We had just reached it. We at once entered the parlor. An attendant came to meet us. I am the father of Gigia Vogi, said the gardener. Send for my daughter at once. There, at play, replied the attendant. I will go and inform the matron. And he hastened away. The gardener could no longer speak nor stand still. He stared at all four walls without seeing anything. The door opened. A teacher entered, dressed in black, holding a little girl by the hand. Father and daughter gazed at each other for an instant and then flew into each other's arms with a cry. The girl was dressed in a white and reddish striped material with a gray apron. She is a little taller than I. She cried and clung to her father's neck with both arms. Her father disengaged himself and began to look her over from head to foot, panting as though he had run a long way, and he exclaimed, Ah, how she has grown, how pretty she has become. Oh, my dear, poor Gigia, my poor mute child, are you her teacher, signora? Tell her to make some of her signs for me, for I shall be able to understand something, and then I will learn little by little. Tell her to make me understand something with her gestures. The teacher smiled and said in a low voice to the girl, Who is this man who has come to see you? And the girl replied with a smile in a coarse, strange, harsh voice, like that of a savage who was speaking for the first time in our language, but with a distinct pronunciation. He is my father. 
The gardener fell back a pace and shrieked like a madman. She speaks. Is it possible? Is it possible? She speaks. Can you speak, my child? Can you speak? Say something to me. You can speak. And he embraced her afresh and kissed her thrice on the brow. But is it not with signs that she talks, senor? It is not with her fingers? What does this mean? No, senor Vogi, rejoined the teacher. It is not with signs. That was the old way. Here we teach the new method, the oral method. How is it that you do not know it? I know nothing about it, replied the gardener, lost in amazement. I have been abroad for the last three years. Oh, they wrote to me, and I did not understand. I am a blockhead. Oh, my daughter, you understand me, then. Do you hear my voice? Answer me. Do you hear me? Do you hear what I say? Why, no, my good man, said the teacher. She does not hear your voice, because she is deaf. She understands from the movement of your lips what the words are that you utter. This is the way the thing is managed. But she does not hear your voice any more than she does the words she speaks to you. She pronounces them because we have taught her, letter by letter, how she must place her lips and move her tongue, and what effort to make with her chest and throat, in order to emit a sound. The gardener did not understand and stood with his mouth wide open. He did not yet believe it. Tell me, Gigia, he asked his daughter, whispering in her ear, are you glad that your father has come back? And he raised his face again and stood awaiting her reply. The girl looked at him thoughtfully and said nothing. Her father was troubled. The teacher laughed. Then she said, my good man, she does not answer you because she did not see the movement of your lips. You spoke in her ear. Repeat your question, keeping your face well before hers. The father, gazing straight in her face, repeated, Are you glad that your father has come back, that he is not going away again? The girl, who had watched his lips closely, seeking even to see inside his mouth, replied frankly, Yes, I am delighted that you have returned, that you are not going away again, never again. Her father embraced her impetuously, and then in great haste, in order to make quite sure, he overwhelmed her with questions. What is Mama's name? Antonia. What is the name of your little sister? Adeline. What is the name of this college? The Death Mute Institution. How many are two times ten? Twenty. Well, we thought that he was laughing for joy. He suddenly burst out crying. But it was from joy. Take courage, said the teacher to him. You have reason to rejoice, not to weep. You see that you are making your daughter cry also. You are pleased, then. The gardener grasped the teacher's hand and kissed it two or three times, saying, Thank you for a hundred times, a thousand times, dear senor teacher, and forgive me for not knowing how to say anything else. But she not only speaks, said the teacher. Your daughter also knows how to write. She knows how to reckon. She knows the names of all the common objects. She knows a little history and geography. She is now in the regular class. When she has passed through the two remaining classes, she will know much more. When she leaves here, she will be in a condition to adopt a profession. We already have death mutes who stand in the shops to serve customers, and they perform their duties like anyone else. Again, the gardener was astounded. It seemed as though his ideas were becoming confused again. He stared at his daughter and scratched his head. His face demanded another explanation. Then the teacher turned to the attendant and said to him, Call a child of the preparatory class for me. 
the attendant returned in a short time with the deaf mute of eight or nine years who had entered the institution a few days before this girl said the mistress is one of those whom we are instructing in the first elements this is the way it is done i want to make her say e pay attention the teacher opened her mouth as one opens it to pronounce the vowel e and motioned to the child to open her mouth in the same manner then the mistress made her a sign to throw out her voice she did so but instead of e she pronounced o no said the mistress that is not right and taking the child's hand she placed one of them on her own throat and the other on her chest and repeated e the child felt with her hands the movements of the mistress's throat and chest opened her mouth again as before and pronounced e correctly in the same manner the mistress made her pronounce c and d still keeping the two little hands on her own throat and chest now do you understand she inquired the father understood but he seemed more astonished than before and they are taught to speak in the same way he asked after a moment of refraction glazing at the teacher you have the patience to teach them to speak in that manner little by little and so many of them one by one through years and years but you are saints that's what you are you are angels of paradise there is not in the world a reward that is worthy of you what is there that i can say ah leave me alone with my daughter a little while now let me have her to myself for five minutes and drawing her to a seat apart he began to question her and she to reply and he laughed with beaming eyes slapping his fist down on his knees he took his daughter's hand and stared at her beside himself with delight at hearing her as though her voice had been one which came from heaven then he asked the teacher would the senor director permit me to thank him the director is not here replied the mistress but there is another person whom you should thank every little girl here is given into the charge of an older companion who acts the part of the sister or mother to her your little girl has been trusted to the care of a deaf mute of seventeen the daughter of a baker who is kind to and very fond of her she has been assisting her for two years to dress herself every morning she combs her hair she teaches her to sew she mends her clothes she is good company for her lugia what is the name of your mamma in the institute the girl smiled and said caterina giordano she said to her father she is very very good the attendant who had withdrawn at a signal from the mistress returned almost at once with a light-haired death-mute a robust girl with a cheerful countenance and also dressed in a red and white striped stuff with a gray apron she paused at the door and blushed then she bent her head with a smile she had the figure of a woman but seemed like a girl Giorgio's daughter instantly ran to her, took her by the arm like a child and drew her to her father, saying in her heavy voice, Caterina Giordano. Ah, what a good girl, exclaimed her father, and he stretched out one hand to caress her, but drew it back again and repeated, Ah, what a good girl, may God bless her, may he grant her all good fortune, all consolation, may he make her and hers always happy since she has been so good to my poor Gigia, it is an honest working man, the poor father of a family who wishes you this with all his heart. The big girl petted the little one, still keeping her face bent and smiling, and the gardener continued to gaze at her.
as at a Madonna. You can take your daughter with you for the class, said the mistress. Won't I take her, though, rejoined the gardener. I'll take her to Condove and fetch her back tomorrow morning. Think for a bit whether I won't take her. The girl ran off to dress. It is three years since I have seen her, repeated the gardener. Now she speaks. I will take her to Condove with me this minute. But first I shall take a walk about Turin with my death mute on my arm, so that all may see her, and I shall take her to see some of my friends. Ah, oh, what a beautiful day! This is consolation indeed. Here is your father's arm, my Gigia. The girl, who had returned with the little mantle and cap on, took his arm. And thanks to all, said the father as he reached the threshold, thanks to all with my whole soul. I shall come back another time to thank you all again. He stood for a moment in thought, and then turned abruptly from the girl, came back fumbling in his waistcoat with his hand, and shouted like a man in a fury, Come now, I am not a poor devil, so here I leave twenty lire for the institution, a fine new gold piece. And with tremendous bang he left his gold piece on the table. No, no, my good man, said the mistress with emotion. Take back your money, I cannot accept it. Take it back, it is not my place. You shall see about that when the director is here, but he will not accept anything either, be sure of that. You have toiled too hard to earn it, poor man. We shall be greatly obliged to you all the same. No, I shall leave it, replied the gardener, obstinately, and then we will see. But the mistress put his money back in his pocket without leaving him time to reject it. So he gave up with a shake of the head, and then throwing a kiss to the mistress and to the older girl, he quickly took his daughter's arm and hurried with her out of the door, saying, Come, come, my daughter, my poor dumb child, my treasure. And the girl exclaimed in her harsh voice, Oh, how beautiful the sun is. End of section 21 Recording by Kristen Lewis, Houston, Texas